You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Hello, everybody. It's good to see you again. My name's Craig, and I'm your friend from Cross Culture. And today we're going to continue our series in Luke, Discovering God's Plan for the World. And in the last couple of weeks, I understand we've been urged to be ready for the return of Jesus, who could return at any time. And we've also been urged to settle your affairs with God now, because today, this day, is the day of salvation. And today we'll continue in these themes and hear how repentance is a gift leading to a more fruitful life than we ever knew possible. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, please fill us with your spirit to hear the words of the Lord Jesus, to believe in him and obey him. Please, Lord God, show us your ways. Amen. Have you ever been walking down the street and intending to go somewhere and then realise that you're going in the wrong direction? And you're not just slightly off, but going in completely the wrong direction. But if you're like me, you don't just turn around and go back in case someone sees you and you look stupid. So you look at your phone and you pretend like the navigation's off. Or maybe you do a big loop around the block so it looks like you're going in the way that you always meant to go. To stop heading in the wrong direction, to turn around and to go back in the right direction. That's what repentance is. To stop going away from God, to turn around and to go back to God. But why do we find that so difficult to do? Why do we find it so hard to admit we're wrong and to repent? Surely it's related to the pride that has plagued humanity, has plagued people since the very first man and woman. And then immersed in our own individualistic culture, we don't even notice our own willful selfishness. This selfishness says, I will decide what's right for me and no one can tell me otherwise. Or do we find it hard to repent because we feel shame for admitting our faults? We can't bear anyone to know the filthiness of our secret lives. Or maybe we just don't know that we need to repent. We say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's all there is to it. But today, in contrast, we'll discover what Jesus says. And he'll show us that we need to repent or perish. We need to bear fruit or be cut down. He'll show us that we need to have faith and live. So first, Jesus tells us, tells us that we must repent or perish. Now this may sound judgmental, but there's far more to this statement than it first appears. So just before our passage, 
Jesus has told the crowds an illustration to urge them to reconcile with God before the day of judgment. And now Luke takes up the narrative. Jesus says, oh sorry, the narrative from Luke. (laughs) There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And perhaps the people tell Jesus about this recent disaster in response to his words about judgment. Some Jewish people from Galilee have come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. And it was probably a Passover when tensions between the Israelites and the Romans were running high. And then the governor Pilate, in his cruelty, has the Galileans killed while they were making their sacrifices. Now today we might see them as martyrs being persecuted for their faith. But you see, the people of Jesus' time think quite differently. Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? The wisdom of the time held that if you were prosperous with health and wealth and status, then God was blessing you for your righteousness. But then conversely, it meant that if you suffered disaster or misfortune, God was punishing you for a sin that you committed. So then, because the Galileans were massacred in the act of worship, the people thought that God must have punished them for some terrible sin. It would be like us today hearing about a government persecuting, executing Christians who attended church and then thinking that it happened because God had condemned them. It doesn't seem right. Now, though it's true that death entered the world through uh, humanity's corporate sin, through Adam, humanity's corporate sin in Adam, it's unwise and uncharitable to judge that someone's misfortune is punishment for their particular sin, when we just don't know the cause. And Jesus cuts through this conventional yet flawed wisdom of the time and says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And to emphasize this point, Jesus makes it again using another recent example of the day. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And again, the Israelites wonder, had these people been such terrible offenders that God crushed them in this way? It'd be like when the section of the Westgate Bridge fell and killed 35 people and then thinking God destroyed them because they weren't as good as us. And again, Jesus counters this erroneous thinking with an emphatic no. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Just because you suffer misfortune, it doesn't mean you're condemned by God. And conversely, just because your life appears healthy, 
and prosperous. It doesn't mean that you're on good terms with God. When things go well for us, we can fall into the trap of thinking we deserve favour from God and from others. There was a man who dedicated his life to running a country hospital. And not only this, he donated to charity groups and visited poor and lonely people in their homes. But as the years went by, he grew to think that because of all he'd done, he deserved validation. He deserved honour. He deserved reward. And his pride corrupted his perception of himself and his actions. And he'd siphon off hospital funds into his own account. And while he looked good in other people's eyes and things appeared to go well for him, he was far from God. He was far from God. And he fell short, well short of his right standards. And you see, he was trapped. He had to keep working to maintain the facade of an upright person until his hidden actions were exposed and he was taken to court. And in the end, he died in dishonour. The problem of sin, of rejecting God and doing what's evil in his sight, stands between each person and God. As all of Israel was sinful, so the world as a whole is sinful. And each person, each person will suffer the judgment of death unless they repent it's the same for everyone, including us here in this room. If you reject God and live your own way, you will suffer the judgment of death unless you turn back to God. And to perish as a result of unrepentant sin is far more terrible than any other tragedy in this world. It means coming face to face with the fearsome wrath of God. It means being eternally cut off from the God we rejected, the source of life. And it means never again enjoying any of his provision. Neither satisfying food and drink, nor life with family and friends. Neither love nor joy. But God loves the people of this world so much that he sent his only son to save us. And Jesus' call to repentance is the warning light, not just so that we'll feel bad, but so that we'll acknowledge our sin, turn away from it and reconcile with God. So that we'll repent. And that's why Jesus makes his insistent warning out of his great love for you. He passionately is passionately concerned for your life and your greatest well-being. Not only does Jesus not want you to perish, his heart is for you to live an abundantly fruitful life. But this is something that we cannot do on our own. On our own, our lives will be devoid of the fruitfulness that God desires for us. And yet, still, still he seeks fruit in our lives. So here again, Jesus confronts us 
with a parable showing that we need to bear fruit or be cut down. And we'll see that we need God himself to enable us to do this. So after Jesus' warning to repent or perish, he tells us this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Like the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, where a real-life fig tree shows Israel's fruitlessness, this parable also uses a fig tree to depict the nation's fruitlessness. For three years, the owner of the vineyard, who represents God, has come seeking fruit from it, which indicates that it's a mature tree meant to bear fruit. Maybe it had once been fruitful. But here, its lack of figs is an ominous sign that is unlikely to bear fruit anymore. So the owner says to cut it down. is taking up land where other trees would bear fruit in its place. But the vine dresser isn't done yet. And he speaks up. And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So the vine dresser, pointing to Jesus, asks for a time of grace. To dig around the tree and to fertilize its roots, the place from where renewal must take place. It's the first indication of hope in what is an, until now an ominous parable. So where there was futility, now there is the potential for flourishing. It may have been easier just to chop down the tree and to start over. But the vine dresser makes the more costly choice to tend to it, to tend to the tree in the hope of bringing about his fruitfulness. But then again, the vine dresser also recognises the reality that if the tree still doesn't bear fruit after a year, then the owner can cut it down and will cut it down. So on the one hand, the parable points to Jesus' care for his people, the Israelites, and for the people of the world. Thanks to Jesus' intercession, God has patiently allowed us a time of grace, a time for us to turn to him and a time to heed Jesus' warning to keep John the Baptist's call to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And Jesus has done everything necessary to prepare the ground for us to turn to God and to live fruitful lives with him. He gave his body to die on the cross, to become our sin and to take God's punishment for it in our place. And so Jesus here tends to our root problem, our sin, which keeps us apart from God and renders us fruitless. But then Jesus rose to new life and ascended to rule in heaven, which ensures that all who believe in him will rise from death to new life with him. 
And he promises to give all who believe in him the Holy Spirit who enables us to bear his righteous fruit. But then on the other hand, the parable also reveals the reality that the time of God's grace won't last forever. You have until your death or until Jesus returns to turn to him. If you continually turn away from God, so preventing yourself from bearing any fruit, you'll be removed from God's presence. And so really, in that case, you get the outcome that you've chosen for yourself. This parable shows God's heart and resolve, his desire for mercy and his requirement for righteousness. He desires you to have life and to have fruitfulness with him. But the parable doesn't show the people's response. Will we reject the call to turn to God or will we turn to him and bear fruit in keeping with repentance? What should we do? The thing is, on our own, we can't live the lives that God requires of us. On our own, we are bent on going our own way apart from God. And on our own, all our works are tarnished by sin and make us more culpable. So instead, we need God to come and have mercy on us. We need the vine dresser to tend to us and to enable us to bear fruit. We need Jesus and his saving work in our lives. So it comes down to this, have faith in Jesus and live. For listening to Jesus, admitting your sin and turning to him are the first steps of faith. And only through faith in Jesus will you and I live fruitful lives pleasing to God. So this faith in Jesus, it plays out in three essential applications for us today. Firstly, turn to God and you will receive forgiveness. God sees you. Each one of you sitting here today, he knows you. He knows your strength and your beauty. He knows your dignity as one made in his likeness. Yet he also knows your weaknesses. He knows your flaws. He knows your wrongdoing and secret sin. He knows the feeling of guilt and shame that you harbor. And still, he loves you. Sometimes when I know that I've done wrong, I'm afraid to go to the person that I've wronged out of fear of judgment, out of fear they'll lash out and hurt me. But God isn't like that. He stands with his arms outstretched to you as a strong and loving father. He longs for you to turn to him so he can embrace you and forgive you. So he can heal your wounds, heal your griefs. And the first time you put your faith in Jesus and repent, the Heavenly Father will forgive your sin and give you eternal life as a member in his family. And this is primarily what we've been addressing today. 
But as a child of God, there's still the ongoing need in your relationship to keep turning from wrongdoing and to come to your heavenly father each day to receive his forgiveness. So what do you need to repent from? What do you need to repent from? Here are some ways that may sting us, that we may feel. Do you let sexual promiscuity pollute your life, tearing your heart apart and that of others? Or else, do you entertain a vivid fantasy life that leads you to be dissatisfied with all that you have and to covet what you don't have? Do you despise your parents for what they've said and done to you, and so do you dishonour them? Have you looked down with pride on others or shunned them because they haven't been vaccinated in the way you have? Have you been hurt by the people in the church and now resent them daily in your heart? If your insides bridle at any of these, it probably indicates a need to repent. Every single one of us needs to repent and to turn to God, whether for the first time or for any of the innumerable times after that. And yet he is true to his word when he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't be afraid. Turn to God, for he longs, he longs to forgive you. But secondly, in light of Jesus' warning, don't wait or your window of mercy may close. You see, the sudden death of the Galileans at the temple and those at the Tower of Siloam meant that their time to repent was unexpectedly cut short. If any of them had not already turned to God, then their opportunity to repent from sin was gone forever. In the same way, we don't know the hour of our death. We could suffer a violent attack, an accidental death while driving in our car, or we could succumb to illness. In the news, you may have seen that since the pandemic, sudden adult death syndrome is more prevalent and all-cause mortality is increasing. But perhaps the two things that we're most susceptible to, which prevent us from receiving God's mercy, are hardness of heart and complacency. In our hard hearts, we want to live our own way. We don't want to give up our freedom to do what we want, and we sure don't want to submit to God. And then, in our complacency, our comfortable materialism, it envelops us like a warm bath. Food, drink, and pleasure, they satisfy us, and we don't want anything to disturb this. Hardness of heart and complacency cut short our time of receptiveness to God's grace. But heed Jesus' words, which come to us as a clarion call. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
There will come the day of judgment when if you haven't entrusted your life to Jesus to take God's punishment for your sin and wrongdoing, then you will be required to bear it yourself. So don't wait. Receive Jesus' grace and you will live fruitfully. Our third application. Receive Jesus' grace and you will live fruitfully. But we may ask, what is this fruit? What is this fruit that God desires in us? When the vine dresser tends to his people, he does so through his spirit, applying the word of God in our lives. This Holy Spirit wells up within our being a source of eternally living water, causing us to grow, to be fully like Christ and to bear fruit, every fruit pleasing to God. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, for example, when we first receive Jesus' salvation, we may experience an overwhelming joy. And this is fruit from the Spirit in your life. Or when your spouse is tired and angry and lamenting about difficult things, some of which are your fault, you may, t- you may take the time to listen to them and to seek to bear their load. And this is the Holy Spirit using the circumstances of your life to bear the fruit of love and patience, kindness and faithfulness. Or when you reconcile with someone after a dispute, or the person you disciple reconciles with God, this peacemaking results in a harvest of righteousness in your lives. And these are the kinds of fruits that God is seeking in your life. Repentance can be a painful, painful process. It can be agonizing as what your body wants conflicts with what the spirit wants. And I've been through this agony. Years ago, after I sought to become engaged to a woman and she said no, I craved intimacy and touch for years and years. And this desire would come upon me like a debilitating spirit until I made an outlet for it in either massage or tears. And this enslavement was only put to death through the long and painful conflict of repentance. But this repentance was a gift from God. A gift from God that led to freedom and the spirit bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and self-control in my life. Bearing fruit in keeping with repentance can take a long time. A long time and in fact it takes the whole of our lives. But that's how committed Jesus is to you. He's committed to your greatest good for all of your life. So don't turn away from Jesus or you'll perish. Believe in him and he'll give you life. Heed his word and turn to him and you'll receive forgiveness. And ask Jesus to tend to your innermost being and he will give you the grace 
to bear the most beautiful fruit for the whole of your eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've turned away from you and done what is wrong in your sight. We're sorry we've grieved you so much. We turn to you. Please forgive us our sin and cleanse us from everything that's not right in our lives. Thank you that Jesus died in our place for our sin and rose again to give us life. We commit ourselves to him as our Lord and Saviour. Please, please, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and bear all the good fruit that you want in our lives so that you can be shown for who you truly are, our glorious God. Amen.